Hey, I'm Phil. Thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. So one easy way that you can do that is to text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321 or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. So it's a very fun moment. It's a very exciting moment in my household right now. Uh, my wife has picked up the art of making sourdough. And so for some of you who can be like, yes, I know exactly what you're in, you're in for an exciting couple of months. But my wife comes to me, she's like, I think I want to learn how to make sourdough. And I'm like, fresh bread every morning? Yeah, fantastic. Sign me up. And I just kind of sat back and go on Amazon, buy the jars, buy whatever you need, whatever you need. So I'm like, this is, this is going to be great. I'm going to wake up every day. There's going to be fresh pancakes. There's going to be muffins on tap. Like, again, and my wife's talking to me about all the, the positives of gut health that happen when you eat sourdough. And I'm like, I don't care. I, I, I genuinely just want fresh bread every day. So I, I'm excited. I'm in. I'm, I'm ready to go. But then two weeks kind of get going. And I'm like, hey, like, where's the bread? <laughs> wife, again, if you know my wife, my wife doesn't take much from me. She just kind of looks at me. She's like, what do you mean, where's the bread? I was like, well, you said you got into sourdough. I'm, I'm seeing you get up every single day, and like you're you're feeding the mother dough every 12 hours, and I'm like, you're, you're having to keep it at a, at a proper temperature. You got you got to make sure it's like dressed and like whatever's on the lid's got to be the right lid. I'm like, but but what's going on? Like you're, you're putting all this time into the the mother dough, and like where's the bread? She's like, it takes time. I'm like, oh, okay. And again, in my impatience, I kind of like recanted. But the one thing is like uh, about Tuesday, uh, the, the dough wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. I guess it's supposed to germ or ferment or whatever it's supposed to do. I'm clearly not paying attention. I just want the bread. Uh, but my wife, she's, she's like discouraged and she was like upset. And again, like I, I, I didn't know how to go encourage her. Like any like thing of, hey, you're having a bad day. You're stressed out. You're anxious. Like I know how to come alongside of you and help. Like, the dough you're trying to make isn't turning out. Like, I don't really know how to go and encourage on that one. Like, it'll be okay. Like, you're still a great mom. Like, I didn't know what to say. But she looked at me, and she was like, she fed it. I guess you got to do, like, a cup of water, a cup of flour. And she's like, I, I, I just need to trust the process. And I kind of, like, took a step back, and I'm like, why do you speak so true? Why do you speak so wise? And, again, husbands, as much as we don't want to admit it, our wives know how to speak some truth sometimes. But when my wife said that, she's like, hey, you got to trust the process. Like, I started thinking about all things with family. And I think with family, sometimes it's hard to trust the process. Now, we all have destinations. We have goals. We all have outcomes. Like, we make vision boards or family boards, whatever you want to do. But we all know what our marriage, we want it to look like. I hope. We all know how we want to raise our kids. We know the direction we know where we want them in life. I hope. We all know who, again, as, as kids, again, young adults, whatever you might be, like, this is what I want to be in life. I hope. But we all have these desires. We have these outcomes. We have these destinations in all of these. But it's really, really hard to have that goal and then to realize you've got to trust the process to get there. Because I have four amazing children, 
I was watching my, my, my eight-year-old son play reach basketball this week, and I'm like, how are you in second grade? But I still realize I got 10 more years because he's, till he's 18 and a grown man. Like, I got 10 more years with him. I trust that, again, he, he keeps himself with the Lord. Trust that he grows in that relationship. I, I, I trust and I hope that he's going to get there. But again, trusting that process, I'm like, oh, man, you act a lot like me. You sometimes get selfish. You sometimes stray away from the Lord. But again, to trust the process, raising kids is very hard. Because God gave us all free will. And man, do some parents want to be able to take that away from their kids sometimes. It would just be easier if you just did what I told you. But then we got marriage. Trust in the process. And I have no idea where you're at in your marriage. To trust the process that God will get you through whatever storm you might be in. To trust the process that God will get you through any uh, financial issue. To trust the process that God will get you through whatever it might be. But while I was looking at this idea of, again, trust the process, I started looking at, for us, uh, we, we all tend to get more caught up in the end goal. And we stop focusing on the actual process. So one of my favorite authors kind of puts it this way. He says, healthy marriages, strong relationships with your kids, uh, they're made brick by brick, moment by moment. Uh, The specific purposeful work by specific purposeful work. So what does that mean? If you really want to get to the end game of anything, if you want to get to anything that's actually built, Instead of getting caught up in the goals, the grandeur, like, man, this is going to be what it is, that, 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 that dough of bread, we got to take into account that we have to do the things that will build that. So if you think about a brick wall, you go see a building, it's brick by brick by brick by brick by brick. And it takes time, it takes work, it takes energy takes purpose and sometimes you lay one down that isn't quite how you need it and you know if you keep building again what that can be but you got to be purposeful but again this idea of trust the process can be really hard if you're not being very very purposeful and laying brick by brick by brick and especially this month where we're talking about bonds we're talking about family bonds and this is going to be one of those things if we truly believe that God will bless, redeem, and restore in our families. We have to be able to trust that in the process that we need to be able to lay brick by brick, moment by moment, conversation by conversation. And while reading Ruth 2 this week, I, I feel I saw this truth where, where we really got to land on. Because if we're not laying the specific type of brick that we ought to be, We're never going to get to that final result. We want to see healthy marriages. We want to see marriages that are thriving. We want to see marriages that still have that romance and that giddiness and all those things. Like, how do we get there? We want to be able to have relationships with our kids that are healthy and not just like full of friction. But when your kid becomes like an adult, they actually come back to you and like want to have conversations. Like, how do you raise kids? Because I know you raised me, but I need help raising my kids. To, to see anything in the family, how do we get there? And we see that in Ruth chapter 2. So a little bit of a recap in Ruth chapter 1. Uh, Elimelech, again, like he sojourned away from the Lord. He went to Moab. 
Uh, the family suffered because of that decision. Uh, all the men in that family passed away. Naomi turns back to the Lord and she starts trying to return back to uh, Bethlehem. Ruth acknowledges God here, which is one of the most beautiful things that we see in Ruth chapter 1. Like, your God is my God. Your people are my people. Just to see that, 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 that profession in God has always been the way that God has always operated. So beautiful to see that somebody repented, recanted from their, their, their paganism, from their false worship, and walked to the God of the Bible. It's beautiful to see. But Ruth leaves with Naomi to go back to Bethlehem. And these are two widows. These are two women. They walked probably about 60 miles. That's, that's about here to Detroit, back home. Now, I don't know where you're at with maybe your daughters or your wife. Would you be okay with your wife walking to Detroit? I know for me, I would not want my wife walking to Detroit. But these women had no other choice. To get back to where God needed them to be, to get back to Bethlehem, these women had to pick up the little that they had, and they had to walk from basically here to Detroit. And when they get there, starting in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, It reads, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now, this is a very interesting verse when you put it into context, because this is a little bit of a foreshadowing of the next character that kind of comes into the story. When we read uh, Ruth chapter 1, you see uh, Elimelech, and you see the two sons, and then you say Ruth, you say Naomi, you see Orpah, you see those. In Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, it brings up like the hero of all of the book of Ruth. Now, but, but isn't Ruth the hero of the book of Ruth? Like, no, the one who, who, who represents Christ is the hero in the Bible. And what we'll see is, is the next couple of weeks that we go on, Boaz is the hero of the story. But in verse chapter 2, verse, uh, verses 2 and 3, it sets the stage up. It says, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field. And glean among the ears and the grain after him whose sight I shall find favor. And she, and this is uh, Naomi, and Naomi said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So this is one of those things that can happen. Sometimes our brains try to like fill in the story. I don't know where you're at, but like if, if my wife gives me details about something or tells me a story, like I'm coloring in the picture that's not there because I don't get the details that are necessarily there, we got to slow our brains sometimes down to get the whole story. So again, when you see Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 and it brings up Boaz, it doesn't mean that Ruth and Boaz had some huge plan of like, hey, I know where there's some money. I know where there's a cute guy. Hey, this guy by the name of Boaz, let's go find his field and let's go work that. That's not their plan. Their plan is literally, let me go to the fields and glean among the ears and grain after him whose sight I shall find. The him isn't Boaz. They're just trying to find a land-owning male. Like, I, I need to go find the land. I need to start gleaning some wheat and some barley. I need to go get us some food and pray to God that that person finds favor when they look at me. So what do they do? She starts gleaning in the field. And to look at this, again, when you jump to Ruth chapter 2 again, and she happened to come to the part of the field. This is God orchestrating everything without them even realizing it. They show up, 
They come back to Bethlehem. The entire time, the Lord is guiding and directing Naomi and Ruth. And just so happens that the field that Ruth starts going and gleaning from is the relative of Elimelech. It's Boaz's field. And again, if you jump down even to verse 19 to 20, if you read verse 19, it says, And her mother-in-law said, this is Naomi talking, Where did you glean today? If this was some planned out orchestrated thing, hey, hey, go find Boaz's field, she wouldn't have asked that question. But because it was just go find a field to glean in, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her, Ruth told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said, the man is a close relative of ours and one of our redeemers. So this is going to set the stage up for like, chapter 3 and chapter 4. But the beauty here, and why do we got to stop here, is just the beauty to know that God is in the midst of everything. God is working everything out for those who love him. God is in complete sovereign control of wherever you're at in life. Yes, are there things that are broken in your life? Yes. Why I know that? Because there's things that are broken in my life. Are there struggles in my marriage? Yes. Are there struggles in me raising my kids? Yes. Are there times where I want to just sleep all day? Yes. Are there times that the the football game doesn't go in the direction that I, I wanted it to go? Yes. For some people, no. But again, for me, it didn't go in the direction that I wanted it to go. But sometimes things don't go in the direction that you need in life. Sometimes you're really, really trying to make sure that you're raising your kids and you're loving them and showing them grace and your kids are still your kids. It makes you got to like check yourself or bite your lip or do whatever you got to do. Sometimes in marriage, again, you're, you're trying your absolute best. You, you're trying to make sure you put that time in. You're trying to love each other. You're trying to speak gentle and patient and graceful to each other. And sometimes there's struggles. Even with they, what we see with Naomi and Ruth, again, they're just trying to work. But the reality is, who is the person who is guiding and directing everything? Somebody here needs to know, just know that God is working. Whether you see God working, whether you recognize God working, it doesn't take away the fact that God is working. We have to start there. It's because, again, if we're trying to build anything, if we're trying to brick by brick, moment by moment, anything in our lives, If we don't recognize the fact that, again, the Lord who we serve, the Lord that we cry out to, the Lord whose name we know is Jesus Christ, and he died on a cross for our sins, the one who is capable of redeeming our souls and bringing us back to a relationship with him, if we don't trust the fact that he's working things out, we start trying to do stuff by our own might. And that's the beauty of Ruth and Naomi. Again, Ruth and Naomi didn't have some like master plan where Ruth had some like messy bun in and had her glasses in and she was working in the field and then, ooh, her hair came out and she takes her glasses off and smiles at Boaz like, hi. It's not what she set up. This isn't it. Like, what does Ruth say? Like, I need to go to work. I need to go to work. The only thing that Ruth did is she trusted the process of serving. I don't know much. I don't know where we're at. I'm in a land that I don't understand. But the thing I know I can do for my mother-in-law is I can start working. I can start serving. I can start doing something. 
I love this verse, Ruth 2.2. Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean. Whether she completely trusted that God was working things out way upstream, if God was working in the backstage, I don't know. But the one thing that I knew that, know that Ruth did know, Ruth knew how to work. Ruth knew how to serve. Ruth knew how to make sure that her mother-in-law's needs were before her own. So let me go work in that field. I'm not trying to find a man. Not wearing my, my, my messy bun. And put on my makeup before I went to go work. I'm just going to go find a field. And I pray to God I find favor. But that's not my point. I'm just here to work. For me, the, what does Ruth show? She shows that there's no shortcut. There's no life hack. There, the, there's no path of lesser work here. What does Ruth show? All Ruth does is she trusts in the process of serving. Ruth is focusing on the habit of serving. She's focusing on the next right step. She's focused on the work that is right in front of her. Because I wrote this down. The bond formed when you start serving someone other than yourself can become unbreakable. When you have somebody in your life who puts you first, serves you, takes care of you, loves you, is willing to show up into a foreign land and just go to a field and just start working. Think about what that can do. Think of the person in your life who takes care of you, always there for you. Young adults, young people, I hope, again, your parents, again, you had a roof over your head. Someone's serious on. But think about that person in your life. Think about that person in your life who turns around and they serve you. They take care of you. Your clothes are washed every day. The bills are taken care of. The roof's over your head. Sometimes we don't recognize those things. But it's really easy to recognize those things when they're not there. But for Ruth, she didn't know everything. She didn't get everything. But what is the one thing she knew? I'm going to trust in the process of serving. And the bond that is formed because Ruth is serving created something here. And man, that's, that's a gut punch. I just got done telling you guys what was the only thing that I've been focused on for the last two weeks. I want bread. I want bread. I'm, I'm getting jealous of the, how much time my wife has put in. I'm like, how come I don't get fed every 12 hours? How come you don't make sure I'm warm? How come you don't take care of me? And as much as I was looking at my wife who's trusting in the process, serving our family, I'm over here sitting on the couch, flipping through the TV, playing on the Nintendo Switch, being like, when's that bread ready? Oh my gosh! That is the complete opposite of what service is. We gotta look at this in the, the sense Ruth put herself second. And one of the hardest things in the world is to not put your needs, your desires, your plan, your kingdom first. Because if you look at this idea, being first, basically that's pride. And pride is at the root of all sin. And for us to realize, like, oh, that's, that's not that big of a deal. I'm just being selfish. No, do you, do you realize it took, again, God to send his son to die on a cross to, like, free us from the toxin of selfish pridefulness? We, we can't be set free just by being like, I'm going to be more selfless today. You can't act like Jesus without having Jesus. You, you don't have a chance being, again, a servant inside of your marriage if you don't have Christ as the, the, the 100% 
loudest voice in your heart. There's no way that you're going to be able to see your kids thrive and to serve them and not view them as a burden if you don't have the gospel reigning in your heart as a parent. But to look at this, this idea of, again, Ruth practiced servitude. She put herself second and look at the bond that it formed because of the humility of service. The bond formed when you start serving someone other than yourself is so saturated with Jesus. Go figure when we start looking, acting like, responding like, and talking like Jesus, everything else tends to work a little bit better in life. Wow, it's like the word of God knew what it was saying by, again, conform to me. And again, John the Baptist said it perfectly when, the, when I die to myself and there's less of me and there's more of him. Like, wow. But serving in the family is hard. This is tough. We just got done going through the book of Philippians, but Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It starts with, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also have the interests of others. And have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That's a hard verse. Again, I, I, I told you the, the, the silliness of, again, me only focusing about where's my bread. But think about how that can just like overflow into different areas of your life. Like husbands, I'm going to get you on this one. Are you genuinely last in your family? I'm talking, you, you are taking care of your wife with all that you've got. Because we know what Jesus, how Jesus took care of the church. And he died for the church. He laid his life down. Energy took the beatings, took the lashes, took the mockings. Again, we see the love that Jesus had for the church. Husbands, do you love your bride like that? Are you spent at the end of the day? Because again, yes, you worked your 40. Yes, you did the doubles. Yes, you did those things. But guess what? When you came home, man, you were number one. You were taking care of your wife, man. You were washing her feet. You were gleaning in the fields. You were there for her. Ooh, I got a laundry list of how many times I'm not that. But just take a look at this idea. Again, a bond formed when you start serving someone other than yourself. Husbands. You take care of your wives. Now, I'm going to get this. I'm going to get this double pop in the way. Husbands, you could also be a father. Do you put your kids' interests? Do you take time with them? And it might be silly stuff like playing Mario Kart. It might be doing some silly stuff like Pokemon cards. But for them, that stuff means the world. Because it actually doesn't matter about the Pokemon cards. It doesn't actually matter about the Switch. It's the fact that you took time away from what you were doing to spend with them. Some of the most defining moments fathers can have with their kids is doing the silly stuff that kids like to do. Yes, it's Fortnite. Yes, there's weird things like, yeah, yes, I don't understand anything that these young kids do. But who cares? I'll say this. I'm not the father of the year, and I'm a little bit of a nerd. I I picked up learning how to play the Pokemon card game because my sons got into it. Because then that locks me down with my sons for 45 minutes to play a game. And now all they want to do is ask me, Dad, can we play? Dad, can we play? It's like, it's bedtime. Like, we don't have time to play. But in the same right, my sons want to spend time with me. Husbands, do you do those things for your wife? Fathers, do you do those things for your kids? Put yourself in those spots. But wives, 
Is your husband honored? Is your husband cherished? Is your husband encouraged? And I know you spent all day with the kids. And I know you got your own things that you got to do. But does your husband feel like he's about to hoist the Lombardi trophy up in front of his arm? Because again, when he comes home and he talks to his wife, man, his wife makes him feel like he just won the Super Bowl. But that's serving. But I've been working so hard. I've been doing these things. Do you, do you put your husband there? And mom's kind of the same thing. I, I, I get that you're with your kids a lot. But in the same right, are you, are you watching your kids or are you like hanging out with your kids? Because I, I talked to my wife a couple months ago when we were talking about the mother-son adventure night and all those things. Like We had that mentality. Like A lot of moms will watch their kids, but they don't always hang out with their kids. Ooh. But do you take time in your day to just hang out with them? Now, parents, this is a big one. God gave you your children. Do you serve them? It's not the other way around. You didn't have children so they would serve you. God gave you children so you could be an ambassador of Jesus Christ for them. You serve them. You wash their feet. It's not so you can get, again, can you make them go mow the lawn? Absolutely. That's fine. Chores are great. I'm all for chores. But in the same right, do you look at your kids as a burden? Or do you look at them as the number one opportunity of somebody that you can preach the gospel to? And that's heavy. That's hard. And kids are kids, man. They want a lot. But for us to know, we do that. But now I'm not going to leave you guys out. Young people. The world ain't about you. It's not about your needs. It's not about your desires. It's not about your schedule. It's not about your wants because your parents do amazing things. But in the same right, a bond formed when someone starts serving someone other than yourself. Young people, start it as early as you possibly can. You have no idea what it means to a parent if you walk into their room and their room is clean. Some of your parents are like, that's a game changer. I was like, I know, trust me, I got four kids. But for when a young person starts realizing that you can be an instrumental part of keeping your family closer to Christ by just helping out, man, that's a game changer. And some of you parents are like, get up. <laughs> like, again, like, parents, you got to model it, and then hopefully your kids follow suit. But man, to look at the bond that can happen when we start selflessly serving each other cannot be bright. And one of, one of the things for me is when, when I try to get going in a sermon, uh, I try to find the lie that most people are going to grab onto. What's going to stop this from happening? And for me, when I was looking at it in Ruth chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, it says, and Boaz answered her and said, this is after they ate, they got together, Boaz kind of like invited her for lunch. But Boaz says, and all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And if you jump down, the Lord repay you for what you have done and full reward given to you by the Lord. The number one thing, the hardest lie that we have to dispel inside of our hearts, inside of our minds, is the fact that our service isn't noticed. The big reason why we don't keep that humble mindset is because we just want recognition. We want somebody to say, good job. When, again, a husband comes home after a long day of work and the wife has completely cleaned the entire house. Like, again, do you notice that and say, hey, good job, honey. When a husband does the random things that husbands do and they get fixated on fixing stuff, do you recognize that? 
when somebody tries to put away the clothes properly and it's not folded right or put in the way of the right laundry, but the husband tried, still give him a good job. That's not where that goes. That's not where that goes. That's not where that goes. But in the same right, you tried. One of the biggest reasons why we don't humbly serve is because we're looking for it to be noticed. But the reality is we have to know it is noticed. Because our first reaction when it's not noticed is not again. How dare I do that? You start developing this one-for-one mentality. Like, again, if he does this, then I'll do this. Or if she does this, then I'll do that. That's not the way you live life. Notice Jesus never said, like, hey, when they get their life right, I'll start loving them. Hey, when they get their life right, I'll die for them on the cross. Hey, when they get their life right, you know what? I'm going to take a knee, I'm going to get a cloth, and I'm going to wipe their feet. He washed Judas's feet. But for us to get to this reality that it is noticed, and it might not be noticed by the earthly person that you're trying to serve, the number one thing for us is we got to know is it has to be noticed by God. If you do something with Christ at the center of your heart, if you're doing something to humbly serve him, God notices. Husbands, you might work hard, and you might not ever get that appreciation conversation. You might not ever get that from your your wife. Don't stop doing that, because it's noticed by the Lord. In the same way that, again, Boaz is like, hey, I know all the stuff that you did for your mother-in-law. But who did he redirect it to? The Lord. The Lord notices. For us, when we look at Ruth's life, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the fields. Instead of focusing so much on it being noticed, let's focus so much on trying to get that brick down. Let's put that moment there. Let's be purposeful about the habit to continue to serve people. Because again, when Ruth says again, let me go into the field, she wasn't like, hey, I really hope Naomi notices this. I really hope this fixes all of our problems. I really hope Boaz is there. She's not focused on any of that. Ruth is core middle, like this is, this is where she's at in life. Her absolute reason for doing stuff, she wanted to get in the fields to go serve. Ruth trusted the process. She knew that if she just went to go serve, something would happen. Somebody would find favor. And luckily for her, who found favor? It wasn't just Boaz. It was God Almighty himself. Because as we look at how God starts orchestrating and starts moving Ruth through the rest of time, we see that Ruth gets to be a part of the genealogy of Jesus. Ruth didn't understand much. But for her, I'm going to go serve. I'm going to trust that there's something there. But the bond that was formed when you start serving someone other than that, Boaz's attraction from Ruth started with her hard work. Boaz's attraction to Ruth started with because Ruth was a servant. But for us, we live in a world where there's so much opportunity inside of our families. And Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, it says, And when he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few i got to ask you, how's the harvest in your life? How's the harvest inside of your family? How's the harvest inside of your marriage? How's the harvest with your kids? Because if you're sitting next to them, if you go home with them, if you see them at night, there is a harvest waiting right there. But so often the workers are few because, again, we don't actually want to serve and we don't actually want to put somebody in front of ourselves. 
We go with the mentality, what about me? What do I get? Or even worse, when they do this, I'll do this. No. How should we act? The harvest is plentiful. I see a great opportunity to love my wife in the way that Christ would have me. I see a great opportunity to love my kids in the way that I have. I see a great opportunity for me to be an ambassador for Christ for my kids. But for all of us, the harvest is there. But the bond formed when you start serving someone other than yourself is one of the most easiest ways to start showing somebody the gospel. So I want to challenge you. I want to push you. I want to annoy you a little bit. Instead of just focusing about when am I going to get my bread, maybe it's time for you to serve somebody so you can help them get theirs. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, just thank you for truth. Thank you that in everything in your word, Lord, it reveals your character. But Lord, there there are so many times in our lives where we just mess up. We get so focused on ourselves, Lord. We get so focused on our kingdoms, Lord, that we forget about you. We forget about others. We forget about the call that we should have in this world, that we want to be ambassadors. We want to represent you. But Lord, today, I pray that for everybody here, I pray that the lie of the enemy doesn't take hold in somebody's heart, Lord, but the truth of that you are with us always, Lord that you redeemed us, you restored us, you reconciled us to, uh, to you. But Lord, I pray that there's service in the family, Lord. I pray that husbands take this call seriously, Lord, and they, they start serving their wives. And yes, they're already working so hard, Lord. But Lord, allow them to represent and show just who you are, that you worked hard for us. Lord, thank you for all the wives in the room, Lord. I pray that you give them a spirit of humility to be able to encourage and love just bathe their husband with encouragement. But Lord, for every parent here who thinks that they're at wit's end with their kid, Lord, allow them to pray for their kid, to take time with their kid, to serve their child. But Lord, allow every single parent here to leave with wanting to serve their kid so ultimately they see you. But Lord, for all of us as a church, Lord, as your word said in Philippians, Lord, that we can only have this humble heart, the servant's heart. Lord, if we have the mind that is from you. So Lord, if there's anybody here who does not know your love, does not know your grace, Lord, but is tired of struggling through life, trying to do it their way, Lord, I pray today is the day that they confess that you are Lord, they confess that you are Savior. But Lord, allow us to join back in and worship a song that's been singing since the beginning of the age and just praise you today for how great you are. Jesus, we love you. Please continue doing amazing things at this location, Lord. But Lord, we thank you for how amazing you are. So Christ, we love you. And Lord, we pray this all in your great name. Amen.